Welcome to the American Landman podcast, where we discuss buying, managing, and selling American land. Join us as we listen to real people who buy real land for the enjoyment of owning land and as a vehicle to financial freedom. And now, your host, the original American Landman, Neil Hogger. Hey, welcome back to this week's episode of the American Landman. I'm your host, Neil Hogger, land specialist with Whitetail Properties Real Estate, coming to you from the American Landman Studios in Western Wisconsin. Well, if you found this podcast for the first time, we're doing something a little bit different. We're actually doing a collaboration with another podcast host. His name is Jared Van Hees, and he's with the Habitat Podcast. He is also a father. I think he has four children. He's a land owner. He's a land buyer, an investor. He's a Habitat Plan writer. And he is a owner or co-owner, founder of Vitalized Seed Company, Vitalized Seed And I plant this on my farm and I'm a local distributor for them out of Western Wisconsin. And we are going to talk today and kind of have a collaboration. So he records uh, me on his podcast and I record him on mine. And you're going to get to hear us talk about a lot of of things. And some of this is getting kind of controversial. I'm thinking that you're going to hear some things on here that you haven't heard before. So I hope you enjoy this and you'll uh, stay to the end because it is a little long. We're probably approaching a closing in an hour and a half. By the time we get done with this podcast, but it's a good discussion and I think you're going to like it. So before we get started, as we always do, let's take a moment out for our sponsors and then we'll get right back to the show. I'm Neil Hogger and I'm a land specialist with Whitetail Properties Real Estate and this is the American Landman Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vitalize Seed. Cycle nutrients the way nature intended. The Packer Max HD Culta Packer Crimper. 100% of your seed goes down, 100% of your seed comes up. Landgate, data, intelligence, and marketplace for land and its resources. First Products Grain Drills, maker of the multi-drill. Quality, precision, durability. And lastly, acres.com. Explore and value land with confidence. And now, back to the show. All right, guys, doing a a pretty cool podcast here today with my good friend, Neil. This is actually going to be airing on both of our channels. Yeah. So... Neil with the uh, the American Landman podcast. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good. This is going to be fun. I, I think this might be the first time in history of a double collab, multiple topic platforms, <laughs> reaching all kinds of people. Well, you know, we, we've been friends for quite a while now, talking, catch up every now and then, and, and we've been needing to catch up, and I always enjoy your podcast. Um, and I, I called you, I don't know what, about Christmas or something. And right around there, I was like, hey, you know, if you ever want to come on soon, let me know. And, and you were kind of, you know, going through, should I, should I keep podcasting? Should I not? Yeah. And, and uh, I'm glad I'm glad that you put out a couple more episodes since then because I've listened to them both, uh, including the one, well, I don't know when it went out, but I listened to it today um, from that young entrepreneurial gentleman. Yeah, so, Colin Very Rayo. good, man. Welcome to the show. And yeah, tell everybody, you know, who you are, where you're from. All right. Well, um, Neil Hogger, the host of the American Landman podcast, and I'm uh, out of Northwest Wisconsin, and I'm also a um, real estate agent with Whitetail Properties Real Estate, and I've been with them for about 10 years. And I'm a landowner, and I got got to know um, Jared when, I don't know, I think I was podcasted, I think you interviewed me once, and it just kind of grew from there, and we just, I could tell we were really like-minded, and then we started working with Vitalize as a distributor, and just, I don't know, stayed friends, right? I mean, it's, it's like two guys in a deer camp. That's what it is every time we talk. 
Yeah, exactly right. And I did interview you. I there was episode number one ninety one, one nine one for anybody. Um, that one's titled "Fall Food Plot Hurdles, Real Estate Moves, Twenty Twenty Two Hunting Goals." So it must have been prior to fall wow. of twenty two. So it's been a while since you've been on the show. That's a long time. Well, I'm glad to be a frequent contributor. <laughs> and uh, in this collab for my guys, this is Jared Van Heest, and he's the host of the Habitat Podcast. So why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, Jared Van Heest, uh, you said it right there, host of Habitat Podcast. Um, let's see, family man, three kids, love to love to bow hunt for whitetail, love to manage property for whitetail, probably even more. Um, landowner here in Michigan, and uh, just entrepreneur as well. So, um, yeah, we have a lot in common, Neil. Yeah, we do. I think this uh, conversation to all the guys that follow your podcast and follow mine, hopefully we'll get a little cross-pollination. Maybe you pick up a couple and I pick up a couple. But conversation is kind of just two dudes that we love what we do. And we love land and we love buying land and selling land and fixing land. And we're both family men and hunting goes deep into our our bones, I think. And so, yeah, we're just going to see where this goes, right, Jared? I don't know. I don't even know what we're going to talk about, but we'll, we'll talk about something for an hour. Well, let's, let's talk about, let's talk about this first. Um, you just harvested a great buck like last week or is it this week, this week? Yeah, it was on Saturday, I think opening day of Ohio muzzleloader season. I went down to uh, a cl client of mine and, uh, I actually posted this up while I was in stand. Actually, I posted a video of a, an eight point that came in and he had a, he had a feeder out in front of me, uh, I don't know, 50, 75 yards away from this, uh, line that I was in. And so I posted up a video of it while I was sitting there and it was, it was just a great opportunity because this guy was actually a client and he's also a good friend. And he'd been coming to my farm in Wisconsin for, oh gosh, 20 years, I would say. And he, he started off coming to Krause Creek Lodge, my first one that I owned. And, um, he and I had gone way, way back. I mean, he was my first trainer in pharmaceutical sales. He actually, uh, I met him, I had a bow hunting magazine in my hand and probably should have been studying, you know, for our, our pharmaceutical classes that we were there to learn these drugs. And he walked up to me and I kind of put it away and he, he's like, Hey, I saw the magazine. And I'm like, Oh boy. And he's like, you like bow hunting? And I'm like, yeah, I really do. Cause it was October or November when I was in, I think I was in Wilmington, New Jersey, I think somewhere out on the East coast missing deer hunting, you know? And, okay. <laughs> and, uh, he says, yeah, me too, man. Let's, let's talk after class. So that's how we met and we've stayed friends ever since. Wow. Is it, what part of Ohio are you in? Southern Ohio? Are you, uh, Western Ohio? Yeah, we were in Southern tip of Ohio in Meigs County, I think is how it's, uh, said, uh, or pronounced. And we we're literally like almost in West Virginia. I think there's a river and I, I don't know if it's the Ohio river, but it's borders the, you know, it is. it's Ohio. Okay. So he just has about a, I think it's 71 acres that he purchased down there. He got kind of tired of coming and hunting with me and he, well, not tired, but he just wanted to own his own land. So I hooked him up with another whitetail guy down there and we, we found him this property. So he's owned it for about a year now and it's been set, setting it up and blinds and feeders and kind of figuring it out. And, and this buck kill, if you go to my uh, Facebook page, you'll see it. Um, that was the first kill on his farm. So I'm proud to be the guy. Wow. Wow. He must, he must really like you to, you know, let's come out there and, <laughs> the first buck on his farm yeah you know we we talked about um 
you know, what do you, what are you managing for? And I'll be honest with you. I'm not really a, I'm not really a trophy guy. I would say, I mean, if I had to describe myself, I'm, I'm not a trophy hunter by any means. I just like to hunt. And, but over the last few years of owning my own land and I just, I've kind of morphed into, it's not that I don't enjoy killing a deer period ethically and cleanly as I do. Um, but I started to develop more into mature deer. So I'm kind of after three and a half year old or better. Um, but I'm still, I would say the experience is out, outweighs the size of the horns for me. And, but I talked to him, I said, well, what do you want? He goes, you can shoot whatever you want. And knowing that in the past, I'd, I'd take the typical Wisconsin buck, even though everybody thinks there's booners everywhere, you know, spikes, forks, sixes, eights. I mean, that's what I grew up on. And, but I've developed into something else. And, and so I said, well, I'm only going to shoot something I'm going to mount. And, and that's what I shot. So I got a pretty decent buck. He probably could score, I don't know, Jared, 125, maybe 130 if I'm lucky, but it's a, it was a, it was a nice buck and he's big bodied. And when he walked in, I had four bucks in front of me or three, three or four. Let me count them. I had three bucks in front of me, three eights and a spike. And then this guy was the fourth and I walked in and man, as soon as they saw him coming, they looked and they're looking down into the valley where I couldn't see him. And, um, when he walked in, I immediately knew he was a mature deer and the other, the biggest of the three kind of cowered and moved out of his way. So it was fun to watch him. And so to harvest him was kind of cool too. And it, it, it was one of the bigger bucks on his farm. So he, he was happy. I got it. Well done, my friend. Congratulations. And I don't recall you getting a buck earlier this year, correct? No, it was a weird year. And you hear this all over Wisconsin. Um, and, and everywhere for that matter, guys just weren't seeing the deer that they expected. And if you look at Instagram and you follow the pages, you know, you almost felt like bad because it seemed like everybody was dropping monsters and that happens every year. But <laughs> the reality was yeah. that a lot of guys weren't. And I was hearing the same thing all across the state. I'm not seeing any deer. And I mean, I've got great habitat on my farm and I've got, um, I kind of know where they're moving. And I, I think I'm a pretty good hunter. I mean, I, I take care of my, I shower before I go out and I ozone all my clothes and my scent crusher and I spray down with, um, with a nose jammer. I use that. I've always had good luck with that. And sometimes I even took my ozonic unit out in the woods and I try to come in at a perpendicular angle to where the deer travel. And so there's really only one point of contact. And I try to take things into account, like, okay, they can't get behind me and just everything, ingress, egress, all the things you're supposed to do, prevailing winds. And I just wasn't seeing deer or bucks for sure. I saw, I think I only had a six and a little fork that might've been trying to be a six underneath me the whole season. I, they just, they weren't there where I was and I don't, I don't know what they were doing. And the only thing I can attest it to is you've heard this probably. And, um, there's just a lot of acorns in the, in the woods. It was like marbles. And I don't know if it was like that in Michigan or what was it like that in Michigan? Cause it was, it was a bumper crop in Wisconsin where I was at. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, between all the acorns, you know, when it comes to that, you got to find the, the secluded oak trees. But some spots I hunted on some public land up north were just marbles. Uh, a lot, a lot of standing corn. It was pretty wet um, after the planting season, and uh, a lot of the corn. And we still got standing corn around here still. But either way, to be able to slide into Ohio in January and wrap a tag on a buck. Yeah, I'd take that. <laughs> I was happy. You, you know? know, I tell you what, that drive though kicked my butt going down there. I mean, it was, I think I, I think it was a 12 hour drive to get there. And I'm, I guess I'm not as young as I used to be, but it took me about two days to just kind of like get 
feeling normal. And by the afternoon uh, of opening day, I, I got there, I think on a Thursday. So I got there Thursday at about seven, didn't sleep at all Thursday night. And, and then, you know, Friday, I, I didn't feel great. And I took a nap and that screwed up my sleeping patterns. And, and then by finally by Saturday, I started to feel a little better. So uh, as much as I love, you know, out of state new ground, I mean, a lot of guys don't talk about that because then you see these guys that travel all over the United States. I mean, I, honestly, I don't know how they do it because my legs were weak walking up those darn hills because I'm a flatlander here in Wisconsin. I mean, if I got 25 <laughs> feet of elevation, I'm that's that's a hill here where I'm at. And we had to climb those darn uh, Ohio, southern Ohio hills. And I tell you, on the first morning, Jared, twice going in, I had to stop. And it was a little embarrassing. Now I'm carrying my pack and I got my muzzleloader and I, I had my heater bodysuit with me and, and Joe says, well, we'll just get to this first like level and we're talking low and, and then we'll stop here. And I mean, I'm just like, I'm huffing and huffing. And then we, all right, let's go. I'm good. Let's, we can get there and we go to the next level and it plateaus again. And I stop, I grab him, I tap him on the arm. I go, man, I gotta stop. And, um, so we're sitting there, I'm huffing, I'm bending over. And, and then I started feeling nauseous. I was like, oh my God. I mean, my legs were like rubber. My lungs were burning. I, I literally almost needed to sit down. That's how, that's how bad I felt. I felt like I was going to throw up. <laughs> I'm like, this is supposed to be fun. What the hell's going on? And, uh, but you know, the travel the time change, even though it was an hour, you know, I don't know. It affected me, man. And so out of state hunts, I have to, I, I have to think about which travel I'm directed, which direction I'm going. So I can get there in five, six hours and maybe Missouri next year. I don't know. We'll see. Well, shoot, man. I figured you being a salesman, 12 hours would be nothing. But <laughs> those know. Ohio Hills, those Ohio Hills Oof. are no joke. Well, coming back, um, I didn't feel I've bad. You know? Yeah. Coming back, Probably I felt you knew pretty you good. you had no more hiking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just need to well, get in better shape. You, so. man. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what it comes down to. Throwing a backpack on and, and getting your lungs in shape. I remember Corey and I, my buddy Corey, we had a, a lease down there by the river and that was like straight up. Um, and the road was washed out so we couldn't take a quad or anything up the road. So we had to uh, just, you know, strip down to your long johns pretty much, throw everything on your back and just go. Cause you'd be soaking wet by the time you're at the top. That's exactly. Um, and it's, it's tough hunting too because those deer, they know that's the only way up the hills on that road. And uh, sure enough, we, you know, we're at least one time, maybe two times where you stop for a break and a deer blows out. You know, you just bet it by the road, expect you to keep walking. You end up stopping for whatever reason and boom. So yeah, it's not, it's not easy hunting down there. Did you get, um, you mentioned you got a bunch of crap for, for hunting over bay. Is that right? Oh yeah, man. I'm still getting it. I got like 57,000 reach on this post and it keeps coming back. And this morning, some guy, um, I think it said something about sissy, like the comment was sissy la 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 or something. And I'm like, not exactly sure what that was about, but, um, and then some of these guys you can't, um, yeah, right here, sissy la la, some guy named, I don't know, you shouldn't say his name or maybe I can, but, uh, it doesn't allow me to respond to this guy. Um, so I don't know what that's about, no. if that's a bot or what, but yeah. So I'm sitting in the stand, uh, this box blind and, um, you know, I, I'm not a baiter. I, I, it's just not what I do. I like to, I'd rather do, um, food plots and stuff. And you could argue all day long if the food plotting is, you know, baiting or is there any difference? And I'm like, I, you know, whatever, I, I'm not here to have that argument. If it's legal, number one, if it's your land, number two, and you can do it. And I'm, 
It's just how you do it. They do it in Texas. They do it in Kansas, I think. They do it all over the place. So these corn feeders, it's just part of the landscape. It just is what it is. It's just not for me, but it's his land, right? So um, I get up there and I'm sitting in the stand and this decent two-year-old um, eight point that he said will come in real yellow lant- antlers. He says really yellow antlers, but it's got a nice, you know, at the right angle, it looks like a fairly mature deer, but I think it's a two and a half year old. And sure enough, this buck comes in. So I got to watch this thing in the fog come along this ridge top, and it was on a food plot that wasn't doing very well, but it was definitely coming to that corn. And he, I snapped a photo of him and I, my post wasn't anything about killing this buck. It was more about, I'm reading it right now. Um, you make a lot of friends and you, then you get to hunt their land and it's kind of the benefit of land ownership really. And, and, um, and I passed this eight pointer and I, I just commented, you know, I got, I got the adrenaline rush and my heart was pumping. I felt all trembly afterward, the afterglow of that adrenaline buck fever feeling. And I let it walk, you know, and I, that was the post, but, oh my gosh, I mean, tens of thousands of comments, most of them actually were positive, but the number of like negative comments was amazing about shooting him in a game farm. You're a sissy. Um, I mean, some profanity stuff and, you know, kind of like blasting me. I'm like, dude, I let it walk. <laughs> Just the comment was, I hope I never get tired of looking at this because my heart's jumping through my chest. It's like, wow, dude, relax. But that's okay. You know, I interact with them, whatever they say, honestly. I mean, do, do you feel any different about baiting now after you've hunted down there? And I mean, it could be a reason for some of your success, right? I would say, and I didn't really go down this road. I didn't post it as a brag shot, but I would say it's 100% because of the success that I had. And on one hand, right. I mean, I talked to, I talked to Joe about it and I said, okay, well, by the time I got done, I had, you know, four bucks standing in front of me and I was able to see them and, and study them and, shoot a mature one that he wanted me to shoot the age class that he wanted. And I'm sure this buck is three and a half, maybe four and a half. We didn't age it, but um, I'd say it's at least three and a half. And I was able to make a real ethical shot. And I don't know, you know, I, I'm de- definitely, you and I aren't going to solve this problem because there's people that'll comment on this podcast about the sissy that shot, you know, brags about the buck that he shot at a corn feeder and it might as well have been cattle, you know? And, um, I don't know. It's, it goes both ways for me, honestly, I, I don't have feeders at my farm and I never will, but they're illegal now. But even if they were legal or when they were legal, I didn't feed. Um, you could argue that the feed that you're feeding them is keeping them healthy all through the winter, you know, I, but down there, I suppose the other side of that is, well, you guys don't really have the severe winters that we have up North. So don't know if that's a valid argument, but, um, you could go that route and, um, there were definitely was one of them that came in, had a injury. I almost took him out because as a mercy kill and he had a leg that was just flopping around. It was just literally, he couldn't lift it. He'd drag it. It would swing in the air as he jumped. And, um, Joe said that buck has been there for two years now. And he came into that feeder. The other bucks actually kind of let him feed and didn't come in until he was done. I don't know if that was intentional, but, um, you know, you could argue that the feeding is ethical because this guy is going to have a hard time feeding. But if he can walk into a corn feeder and fill up every day, twice, three, four times a day, five times a day, whatever he feeds, that's, you know, maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. I'll let the haters decide. I mean, we we had we had my buddy Rich on uh, a couple episodes back. I think it was episode 256. Um, Rich Hickson down in 
Southern Ohio, probably near where you were. Uh, he sells feeders, uh, fills people's feeders for them, changes camera cars, installs hunting blinds, all the stuff you you need down there. And everybody is is doing it in the area, and it works down there in Michigan. When we could bait, I've never killed a, an older deer over bait. Um, I've baited. I've not baited. Um, it just it, the pressure. Something something's different. Some maybe some people have, but up here it was different. Down there in the hills, you can shoot big deer over corn piles, hmm. and all your neighbors are probably doing the same thing. And I guess my number one, where I was getting at with this whole thing is kind of my number one rule is you need to have everything your neighbors have and more. Like you don't want them going off of your property for any reason right. to go get something else on your neighbor. In my opinion. Um, does that mean, you know, I support baiting or, or I don't, I, I do if it's legal, do hunt your own hunt. None of my business. I, know. My, I guess I look at it from the standpoint of, you know, if you didn't have that and the neighbor property did like neighboring property did, like, would you have the opportunities you had? So yeah, something to think about. It's a touchy subject. You know, people argue about that for, you know, our whole lifetime. So. Yeah. Well, it makes for great podcasting because we're never going to, dis- we're, <laughs> we're never going to figure it out. And I don't know. It was legal. And you know what I kept saying on this, on the podcast or on the Facebook post was, Hey man, I was a guest, you know? I mean, am I going to tell the guy, Hey, I didn't, before I come, I need you to stop everything you're doing and set your farm up the way I like, no, I, you know, he feeds, that's what he does. And he has his trail cameras and he enjoys watching the, them on his cameras. He sends me the photos. He sent me like four or five. He said, Hey, guess who's back? Cause there's this bigger one out there. We never saw and, um, of course. He, yeah, he was there in the daylight over, uh, I would say within 40, 50, maybe a hundred yards tops of a stand that he's initially stuck me in and never saw it. He didn't leave. He avoided us. So to all the haters out there, it doesn't, it, it's not a for sure thing. Cause Joe was hunting on a different part of the farm where he had feeders and he didn't even see a buck, but they were all on my side and I saw him. So I don't know. It's a, it's not a for sure thing. You still got to spend time there. I mean, we spent hours and hours and hours. So that'd be another thing I would say to all the haters that comments like, do you even hunt? Like, have you ever sat out there on a tree stand with the rain coming down and then it turns to sleet and you're wet and you're there like the entire day in a little teeny tree stand open to the elements? And, you know, I don't know. People, I think, have unrealistic expectations of what it's like. Because honestly, the overwhelming response, like the thumbs up things was like way more, but there was always the haters and I don't know, they're just keyboard warriors that, you know, got to say something and I'll tell you, that's what what it is. It's all, it's all this keyboard warriors. I'll interact with them because, Hey man, I'll take the negative comments too. Cause guess what? It spreads it like wildfire on the algorithms. Like, go ahead, hit those keys. Let's talk. And a lot of times I'll even, I'll, I'll even say, well, how, how many acres do you have? Or how, you know, how do you manage your land? You know, and then I don't get a response. So I think a lot of the guys that are writing are just doing it to get you riled up. If they can, they get off on that. And a lot of them don't have land. So they might be angry at that. And somebody commented about going to Ohio, getting to go to Ohio. Like, and I'm like, okay, I'm not sure if I'm reading into this or if you're giving me hard time. Cause I went and hunted with a buddy, you know? took i took three days out of my life to <laughs> to go hunt someplace you know no it's yeah you, you just let it roll off yeah. What, yeah well you did mention something there and i'm gonna switch topics on you you did mention something there about you know people mad because they're they're not buying land or they can't buy land or or any of that what's your what's your future outlook 
on the market here at the beginning of 2024. Yeah. I know interest interest rates did slide back a little bit. Um, as soon as, as soon as I bought my 40, they slid back. How, how lovely. Um, what, you know, what do you, what do you see in the market as the, the land prices? Mm-hmm. Let's hear your right. rundown on. I want to look at my, my prognostication. All right. Well, let me say this. There my my disclaimer is like, Hey guys, don't listen to anything I say, cause this is 100% like, what do I know type advice? And, but I do work in the industry and I do work on it all the time and I have seen some trends. Um, and so this is what I think is happening. So for 2024 already this year, I've nearly grossed, um, sales or grossed income. What I did all of 2023. And these are deals that'll close in the first quarter of 2024. So if that's an indication of what 24 is going to be like, wow, um, it's going to be like, this is my breakout year. The last couple of years, you know, I get this a lot, Jared, like, oh, you're, you're just making hand over fist money. I'm like, well, not really. Actually, it's been flat or actually declining. It actually has declined my total sales in the last three years. It went down, 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 not a buy a whole lot. I'm like within a, a million dollars, which in my world could be two sales or on average five sales. Um, so it's pretty, pretty consistent year over year, but it's not growing. It's not like everybody thinks. Um, so 2024, what I think is going to happen is um, there's changes in the industry. Number one, a lot of the residential agents are going broke because like the big residential companies are down 60% year over year. Whitetail as a company um, is pretty even. So we're holding our own in a market that everybody else is declining. We're kind of just still hitting our numbers and doesn't, hasn't affected us. We don't have the big growth that we had over year over year, but sometimes you're in sales, you know, just hitting your number for the years can be a positive. So I think, you know, what's going to happen with interest rates, they are going to come down. A lot of guys that are the demographics of my podcast and probably yours, you know, the last six years or so, you know, it's been record low interest rates that were historical lows that aren't normal and we're normal now, but they're shell shock. Cause I know I got my farms at like 2.5% or something, 30 year fixed. Oh and, yeah. You know, I, I'm shell shocked. Yeah. I'm guilty <laughs> of that. I'm shell shocked, but it's normal. I mean, we're at the averages right now, really? So I think, I think what guys are going to do is they're going to see this reduction and it's coming back down, you know, it's coming down and it's going to drop into the sevens. It might get six, you know, I've heard five. I don't know if we're going to see that again, but guys are going to go, this is my chance. I'm getting in, I'm getting in now, you know, it came down. And if there's inventory, they're going to snap it up. If they have to get a loan, they're going to just do it because they're going to, they believe it's going to keep going up, up, up. And they're probably right when it comes to that. And so, they're probably right. They're yeah. probably right. You know, I mean, historically, if you look at land as an investment, and I talk a lot about that on my podcast, you know, it's kind of my angle, buying, managing and selling American land. And so I talk a lot about that kind of stuff and like, how do you create wealth? And, you know, it's, it's an investment strategy, which some guys don't like. It's like, I had one guy comment, land shouldn't be about investing. I'm like, okay, well, then you go spend a half million dollars and hope it goes down in value. If that's what you want to do have at it. But most of the people I talk to want to know that they bought it right, that it's going to go up in value. Neil, how do I improve it? You know, and how do I make this better for hunting and for their financial wealth? I mean, I, I don't see a problem with that, but so 
Interest rate, to answer your question, interest rates, I think, are going to come down a little bit. We're going to see a flush of, of buys if you can find it. Um, so you got to make sure that you're using the right agent when you get ready to go. And that's something we should probably talk about. Um, but uh, when it comes up, you got to be ready because the inventory is low. And uh, I yeah. just, I just, if you look at my site, I came through, I've just come through like a period in December where I had a crap load of listings, but now it's like, it's crickets. I yeah, know, I, like I know. And I work closely with, uh, with Chad Thalen and, and the Michigan, you know, Midwest Lifestyles crew and uh, Midwest Lifestyle Properties crew. And listings are always the, the, the need. It seems like everybody's trying to find the listings in that, yeah. you know, 100,000 or it's maybe up to, up to 200 or 250,000. There's like nothing. Um, Absolutely. I had one that came up yesterday. I saw that was that was decent, and it's the first one I've seen in that price range that was decent in quite a long time. You know, I tell guys all the time too. You know, get into the market some way because I had a, I had Rob Saunders. He's one of the owners of Whitetail uh, Properties Real Estate, and he one of the founding partners. And he's a, also a CPA, and he's a investor, and he's a hunter, and so he does what all of us guys are doing. You know, he buys, and I learned from him. That was. A benefit I've had is I've had some of the best minds in the industry that I got to talk to. And I actually had him, I don't remember which one it is, what episode, but he said, you can't out save the like inflation or the market because as you're saving, it's going up. And I hear this from guys. Yeah. Every time I try to save money, the damn market goes up. I'm like, okay, well you're, you're waiting for perfect. You're trying to walk onto a property in your first purchase with a Boone and Crockett standing in your food plot. It's that, that doesn't happen. And you're not going to get that if you're at trying to get into the market. So you got to start down the chain a little bit and work your way to that, which is something I advocate on my podcast all the time. It's like, let me get you into the market. You nailed it. 100,000 to 200 is like the sweet spot. Like everybody's there. Everybody's looking. So if you're not looking with the right guy and you're working Zillow or Redfin or whatever site you watch, you're you're already behind the eight ball because if I got a, yeah. a, a property that's decent, I probably got. If I put it on my Facebook page. Honestly, I'll get inundated with calls. Like, where's that? You know, I'd like to look at it. I'm like, okay, are you pre-qualified? You know, that's the next question. But so it'll be sold before you get a chance to even see it if that's how you're looking. So you got to use the right. You got to get in the inner circle, so to say. That's important. Well, and, and to add on to that, what's cool about um, something I learned this year, I'm, I'm working with Greenstone Financial here in Michigan uh, for the loan on my property. And um, they have a program where it's an interest rate, I'm going to butcher this, it's an interest rate drop over a point maybe or a point and a half, whatever it could be. You have the option to pay a, a fee of like 500 bucks and they will adjust your loan. Oh, nice. For that fee. So when I heard that and my, you know, and the market's at 8%, you know, my thought is, you know, you can wait for it to go back down or you have to strike while the iron's hot and maybe pay a little more in interest for a year, six months, whatever it may be. And then, you know, be able to slide that down. I thought that was a pretty cool tidbit of information that I had never heard before. Have you heard of anything like that through any of your lenders? <sighs> I haven't heard anything specific like that, but I like it, number one, because like a refinance of a, you're typically just, it's called a refi. And I, my impression. Yeah, that's like two grand. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. 1500 to two grand for a refi. So to just automatically adjust because this, 
this uh, banker has a relationship with you and then it costs you 500. That's fantastic. Cause I think what a lot of guys are doing, Jared is, is they're like, they're watching the market and they see something they like, but then they look over at the interest rate and go, damn, it's 8%. And it was like, it's 6% higher than it was just a year ago. And I'm like, okay, so your decision is what the property that you love or the interest rate that you might get. So, you know, you obviously got to be able to afford your mortgage, obviously, but you know, that's the decision. And if you look at the interest rate, well, then that perfect property that you've always wanted is gone and it passes you by. So another guy that maybe has been saving cash comes in and he'll swoop that up and you know, you're, you're going to miss out. So what I tell guys is, okay, you need to approach this with a plan and like, well, how much can I afford? What's my monthly nut that I can pay? P-I-T-I, principal interest, taxes, insurance. And then factor in what are you going to do to that land and, and you want a bank's blind and you want some vitalized seed on it and you want to put some river's edge ladder stands or whatever, you know, write it down. Like how much do you need to improve it? And doesn't have to be done overnight, but you know, you're going to put money into it and then get into a property with the budget you have. And it might be a 20 acre. It might not be a 40 or an 80 or whatever. It might be a 10, but you could do, I mean, you've talked about these small property managements multiple times on your podcast. You could do really well by doing that. I, I just helped a guy, Zach, who'll probably listen to this. I won't see your last name, Zach, but Zach bought a $77,000 20-acre parcel from me, and we split it, and we sold both sides. And I'm not going to say exactly the number, so just because it's confidentiality, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, you know, we sold each side for $65,000. So he bought it for seventy-seven. dollars He put, let's say, five grand into it. So we're at, let's just roll it up. It says 85,000 into it. And he turned around and he sold those 10 acre parcels with food plots, water holes, trails, stands. I think he even set stands on the ground for the guy. He like, he staged it, so to say. And he might even have, um, he might even like left his trail cameras, but he sold this thing for 130,000 bucks less. Let's just say it was 85 into it. And so that's $72,000. Of course, there was some commission. Um, on that times, uh, so we paid, so he, he came out of it with it. Let's just, I'm rounding it down. 65,000 bucks was not his dream property. Heard me talk about this all the time. The area has got, if you, if you break a six point in this area, you're probably doing good, but actually it's not bad. There's a lot of public land and it gets overrun with people. So that's a negative and the soil's sandy and it wasn't the prettiest thing ever, but he got into it and he walked away with like, we'll call it 65,000 bucks roughly. Then he watched me on my podcast and on the on Facebook and I listed another one and this one went for it was listed at 183,000 I think and it was an 80 and boom he rolled into that just like that he didn't pay attention to the interest rate he had the cash cuz he started small improved sold moved up I told him I said you just bought a property that I'll tell you right now if you fill, if you clean it up a little bit I can put that on the market and I'll sell that for probably 225, maybe 230. And you just gained another 50,000 in equity. So now you're, you know, round well, numbers. And, and none of that would be done by being on the sideline. Right. Right. He didn't pay attention. Of course he wanted to know the interest rates, but that wasn't his deciding factor. I have some money. I bought something I could afford. So I didn't get in trouble financially. I left a little bit of money in the budget and I put it back on the market and I he sold it again. You guys have been hearing me talk about 
acres.com software. It's a software tool that I've folded into my business. And man, I got to tell you, I'm really enjoying it from an investor and a realtor land specialist uh, point of view, because they have a tool in here where I can pull up every comp around a subject property that I'm interested in. And it has in the system about 12 million land sales that just really help me understand the value of land. So what I can do is I can come in, hover in, uh, I can do an advanced search, maybe by a property identification number or an address or an owner. I could find a parcel, I could click on it and choose it. And then I can go to a tab and I can choose any number of different things. But if I choose sales data, it will tell me every property around that property and what it's sold for. I'm able to choose those, put them in a report and start to compare each property on its own merits, the vegetation, the tillable land, the uh, fertility index, the heat maps, showing me healthy or poor soil, all types of things. And I can really dive into these properties. And man, I'll tell you, it's impressive when I get in front of customers because nobody has this kind of information, but the American Landman does. So if you wanna be as knowledgeable as me about land, have these tools in your back pocket, really be a professional, or perhaps you're just interested in your own property and you wanna do your own research, check them out, acres.com. You can get a free demo. They're glad to show you. the people at this company are fantastic. I rely on them often. Acres.com. Tell them Neil Hogger, the land specialist from Whitetail Properties and the American Landman podcast sent you. And I think you're going to really enjoy the software. Acres.com. Check them out. Now, the feedback that you get from a lot of guys is that's the problem is you guys are doing these flips and you're making it more expensive. And I guess there's some runway to that statement. I mean, I would, I like to think, well, he just sold you a $65,000, 10 acre parcel that has tree stands, box blinds, um, water holes, trails. Now you could take your camper out there that you always want to do. And you have a place to stay for 65,000 bucks. And there's thousands of acres of public land. Like you didn't have that before. Now you do actually you got two pieces. You could take your pick. So thank you. Well, to yeah, Zach, and, you know? and things are worth what, I mean, the worth of something is what somebody's willing to pay for, not what somebody might think is right or wrong or high or low. It's worth whatever somebody's willing to pay for. And that goes with anything in life. Your your used car, somebody give you a thousand bucks for it. Well, it's probably worth a thousand bucks. The market sets the price, that, right? Yep. The market sets the price because if you're not going to pay that, if you're not willing to pay it, then don't, don't buy it. But because right. that's negative feedback that I get a lot of times is, you agents, you know, I got called in the last 10 days. I got called a, a wussy with a P on the front. Um, I got called a, a roach, a cockroach. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. And I'm like, guys, don't buy the land at that price that it's listed at, which is usually set by the seller, not the agent. I know I don't, I don't walk into the Northern 70 in five years from now when you're going to sell it or whatever and go, Jared, you will list this property with me. You will sign right here. And I'm going to put this at XYZ price. And I know it's less than you want, but it's what I want. And I'm the agent, right? That doesn't happen. <laughs> you go, get out of here. I'm not selling right. for that. So the seller sets the price. And then the buyer comes along and it sits there. I've got a listing right now. It's been on the market. It's got snow on the ground in the pictures. It's because I took pictures with snow last year and it expires in March. It's still sitting there. I told the guy the price that it should be. He said it higher, came back, actually increased the price, said the reason it's not selling is because it's too low. All the buyers believe there's something wrong with it because it's so low, which it wasn't low. It was slightly above market then. 
So we need to raise the price. And when we raise the price, they're going to know, wow, this is really worth it. So now I'm going to buy it. And I said, really? That's interesting. <laughs> Let's see how that works out. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting thing. Huh? That's what I deal with. So <laughs> the lesson here, I guess, get into the market, buy what you can afford based on the interest rate and the amount you have to uh, and, you know, purchase and just get in and start small. That's, that's what it's all about. Start small. Yeah. Yeah. As everybody who listens to this podcast knows, it can be done on seven acres, 10 acres, 15 acres. You can make the best habitat. You can bring in the deer. You can have successful hunting opportunities. Um, matter of fact, my 15, um, the gentleman who bought it and his wife both shot really nice bucks out there this year uh, on the 15. The so, famous 15. Yeah. <laughs> that one. Yeah, that, that one stings a little bit, but it's it's also kind of a validation that, you know, all right, the stuff we're doing is working, the plans are working, you know, somebody can walk in after I'm gone and, you know, know how to hunt, obviously, but also capitalize on opportunities. So it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I'm 15 acres, man. That's, I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's what you, that's what people should start at. And I tell you, those 15 acres, if you can find them, like 2024, I think, um, going like 10 minutes back, like, what do you think is going to happen discussion? I think, you know, oh, yeah. if, if you live, if you live around like a big metro area and, um, like the large cities, I'm going to, I'm going to show my colors in this conversation, but in these large cities that are democratic run, like I live outside of Minneapolis and you cross the river of St. Croix or Mississippi, which is the border of Wisconsin on the West side. Um, it's a different world over here. And the number of people that are pouring across that river is amazing. And I saw this demographic shift coming when I actually started this business of selling land. I knew it was coming because it couldn't because there was this physical barrier that all this development came to that river and it stopped. And then you crossed over this little bridge that was a total bottleneck, but yet there was a freeway that came to the water, ended. On the other side of the water, it started, but there was no bridge crossing it. And it, to me, it was so obvious that it was going to pour across. It was just when. But what's going to happen, I think, geopolitically, now we're really, that's a big word, huh? Geopolitically. Um, we're going to see. Really smart, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm really smart. And it's going to be all wrong and they'll laugh and go, hey, you thought you were so smart. You know nothing. So <laughs> that's my disclaimer. But think about this. Uh, there's a movie out right now, The Burning of Minneapolis, that you should watch. That's going to happen again. That's my prediction. It's going to happen again. Because there's no police over there. It's even worse than it was before the tension. The Democrats are raising taxes. Even the Democrats that are there don't like the taxes. It's kind of weird. It's like you vote for them and you know they're going to do it. But yet when they do it, you're upset. Um, and people are trying to get out of there. So there's a major exit. So if the Democrats get back in, if Joe Biden gets back in, the Democrats' philosophy will be cemented forever. They will do what they do. They'll open up the city um, for all the aliens that are flooding across the border, and they will pour into that city. They already are. They're, they're setting up tent camp encampments everywhere. And they're suing the city for tearing them down, the liberals. They're suing, the liberals are suing the other liberals for tearing them down and cleaning them out, and they just move them to another neighborhood for temporarily because it looks good for the cameras. And then they start over. The people are pouring out of there, and they will continue, and it'll accelerate into western Wisconsin because of the liberal policies. On the flip side, Trump wins, and it appears he is. They're literally going to go ape doo-doo. I can't say the S-H-I-T. This is a family show. They're going to go ape over 
his policies and they will riot and they will burn and everybody's going to pour out of there. That's my very gloomy future report of what I think is going to happen. So I talked to a lot wow. of people. Well, that, yeah, <laughs> that's terrible. Yeah, isn't that, it? that just, took, that just, yeah, that was a interesting, interesting uh, thought there. And I think what you're, what you're saying, no matter what happens, it's going to be access to people out of the city into the rural area. Because what's, you know, what's the constant looking, looking for land? Yeah. Yeah. Is the market going to, the market's mm-hmm. doing great right now. I don't know if you're in the market, but for those that are investing last time I checked, I think, I don't know. I think it was like 37,000 ish, you know, um, see if I can find it here, but the market's up. So that's doing really good. But how, how long is that going to stay up there? Yes. Yeah, 37,568. As of January 10th at 1140, everybody's thinking the market's going to crash. So they're like, you know, get your money out now and, and get it into land because it doesn't go poof. It doesn't go away. So just if, if only for that reason, diversify into some land and do that. Secondly, let's say those people do move out of there. If you can find a 10 acre parcel, you could probably set up a little hobby farm, get yourself a beef cow and have some chickens and a little garden, you know. Get away from the stress of the city and the and, and the crowds and, you know, have your little hobby farm. That's very attractive. So if I can get those listings and they're priced right, actually have one, guys that are listening to this right now, I got a 20-acre parcel. I just did a price reduction today down to 120. It's on my website at whitetailproperties.com. Um, a lot of people are going to flood out of there to, to make the, a life away from the city. So there's a lot of demand for that. And that's what I think. So it doesn't matter which way. The coin goes, we're in this weird place in America, I guess, for lack of a better term, where land is the thing to have and a lot of people want it and it's in short supply. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the, a lot of people have been taking their money out of the market and diversifying it into land over the past three, four, five years as we've seen, you know, these gigantic landowners and, and people who you wouldn't think normally buying land because it's a it's a portfolio risk diversification. So like you're saying, when you're when they're doing that, um, you're just diversifying. So and they're not making any more of it and all the cliche terms we always we always hear or or say but you know you mentioned something to me about how you are not um how how'd you mention you're not doing a co-brokerage oh, or, yeah. or a co-commission on on listings anymore tell right. me about that cuz oh. that seems interesting and maybe relatable to the lack of demand yeah i'm sorry the lack of listings or the, the high demand of of listings well and you know this is this is going to upset some people but and I'm going to try to explain it the best I can and why I'm doing what I'm doing, because I think it's the future, I, I think. And I could be wrong. But so what, what Jared's talking about is I don't pay a co-broke, um, which is basically sharing the commission. So I'm a listing agent mainly. And I, I go out and I advertise a lot. I have a huge budget that I advertise every year. And um, we're talking tens of thousands of dollars for my business. I spend on billboards podcasting, YouTube, Facebook, I boost, I send out mailers, I'm in trade shows, I get certifications, I get newspaper ads. I mean, I, you know, just the the general cost of business on just advertising is in the tens of thousands of dollars for me every year. And I've been doing it consistently for 10 years. So I have quite a bit, you know, if I, if I commit to $50,000, which is this year's budget, I have to, I, I make nothing until I earn that back. And so when I was doing that and I was looking at the process of representing people and right on the listing agreement, it says, you know, I will 
pay this to Cobroke and you write down a number. And in some areas, the industry standard is like 3%. You, you, you agree to pay that to them. It's like a pressure, an internal pressure that if you're not doing that, they're like, you know, you're a hog. I heard this. You're a hog. You're greedy. So, so just to, just to specify or clarify, I should say, you're the listing agent, you sell a property. There's a normal 6% commission that the seller has to pay you and usually the buyer's agent split that? Well, there's a that, lawsuit out there right now. Is that what now. you mean by the Cobra? Yeah, kind of, but it kind of depends on how you look. I look at it like, okay, Jared, I come and list the Northern 70 for you and I sign you up on a contract and my commission is 6%. You're paying me 6% to, because you want my experience, my knowledge, my network. And I literally have buyers that are following me from every corner of the, of the United States and even international. So they're, they're hanging with bated breath for me to list the Northern 70. And that's what you're paying me to do. And you're going to pay me 6%. There's a lawsuit out there and I'm not going to like be the guy that tries to explain this, but basically some guy sued a company and I hope I have this right. And again, my disclaimer guys, this is entertainment. So don't take anything I'm saying as fact, but I, it's something like this. And he, he, he sued this company saying, well, why should I pay? Why should I pay for that guy, that buyer agent that came with the buyer? I didn't, he didn't work for me. You worked for me. Like, why am I paying him a commission? And I guess, you know, then there was this collusion argument that they came up that, yeah, there's a standard that you somehow put buyers or the community of, of consumers in, in a bad position because you agents collude together and, and there was a commission agreement that was kind of unsaid, but you know, it was an industry standard. And, and there's just this lawsuit that swirled around this payout of commission. And a couple of the very large uh, companies settled out of court. And we're talking like millions and millions and millions of dollars at this, I guess it would be the plaintiff, um, won in this argument. And so I'm sitting here back here going, well, I, first off, I don't collude with anybody. And number two, I don't follow the standard. I, I'll, I'll pay out a commission out of my pocket. You hired me and you paid me 6% to get your property sold. Whatever I pay you as a buyer agent is up to me. That's my decision. And sometimes I would put in our area, 2.4 was kind of the standard. I would put 2.4. If I needed your help or if I wanted to be a nice guy to all the other agents out there, I'd do 2.4. And they'd probably do it back. And that was kind of like, everybody did that. And then I started talking to some guys and, and I started thinking about this and I thought, you know, I'm only going to do 1.7. So I just did that. I just paid 1.7. And then I still sold properties. I sold millions of dollars of properties, thousands of acres. And then I thought, I'm like, what happens if I go 1.5? Like, does do this, do my sales slow down? Because the argument all along is you're really putting your seller at a disadvantage. And I, and I'm, th and I'm, and I'm a guy that I like to think, and I'm like, how is it a disadvantage? Because you know nothing about the listing that I have. I've walked it everywhere. I know every rub, scrape, trail. I, you see my videos. I put videos up. I drop, fly my drone. I got all the documents. I know everything about this property. So if you're a buyer and you want to know about this property because you got to make a quick decision because it'll be gone in a flash. Is it an advantage to call some realtor lady that never walked that property, knows nothing about it, doesn't can't tell you anything about it, but you got her on Redfin or Zillow and you thought you were talking to the listing agent because it says 
call contact the agent. And so you did. And it was just some random lady that paid some fee to Zillow to get all the leads to come to her. So the highest bidder got all the leads. So I started thinking about that. I'm like, okay, well, you, you're the, you're the disadvantage. You're disadvantaging my seller because you are now trying to sell a product that you know nothing about, nothing. It would be like an analogy in my world of medical devices when I was in there. And I'm in a surgery with a, the cardiac, uh, surgery and some random person walks in off the street because they want to make a commission on my product and starts to try to detail that guy in surgery on how to use my product. That would never happen, right? It never would happen because he knows nothing about it. Well, I'm thinking, well, how is that different with land? I mean, you've never been on this property. You don't know the maps. You don't know the topography. You don't know the entry. You don't know the prevailing winds, the soil, the rubs, the lines, the pinch points, the stands, nothing. And now my seller, who's trying to capitalize on a really good investment, is leaving it all up to somebody that knows nothing about their property. And I thought of that. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to just stop paying cobrots. Because when you're a buyer agent and, you tip, and you're representing a buyer, okay, you're an agent representing a buyer, you usually don't have any legal contract with them. You haven't put them under a buyer agency agreement which is a document that says, you just hired me as your agent. Now you're my client. So in the, in the scheme of yeah, things, I've seen that. right? Okay. So the sellers, I'm, he's my client. If you don't have a buyer agency agreement with your buyer, you are sub agent to me. You actually work on my side of the table underneath my license. And you can't do anything that disadvantages my seller legally, but what does every buyer agent do? They sit there and they try to pick it a property apart and get it, you know, pick it up as cheap as possible. You disadvantage my seller in my mind by trying to sell this to your buyer by pick, by representing him and you're, and he's expecting you to get the lowest price possible. So again, I'm thinking not only do you not know anything about my seller, my client's property, but you're trying to disadvantage him by talking it down to get it cheaper for your guy. So I just decided, Jared, that I wasn't going to pay any co-broke. I would rather Jared, the other agent, be represent your guy. You represent your guy on your side of the table and you can negotiate a, I want 2% fee to represent you as your agent. You know, I don't know what Neil gets paid on the other side. That's, that's with his client. I'm with you. I'm representing you. And it's like you go to court, right? And you got two lawyers and you're a defendant and a plaintiff. The plaintiff doesn't pay the defendant lawyer and the defendant's lawyer doesn't pay the plaintiff. They're separate. They have contracts. They're separate. And I'm thinking, why? I don't know. And maybe somebody that's smarter than me in real estate can explain why do we do that? Like, I want you to not be legally represented underneath me or next to me or aside me or any way possible. You represent your guy and I'll represent my guy. And what I think is going to happen soon is that that's how it will be. And if you want a buyer agent to go out looking for a property for you, and this is better for the buyer agents out there, in my opinion, the guys that want to get into this business, do you want to work for free? Do you want to schlep a guy around in your $68,000 Chevy truck with a $35,000 Gator pulling, you know, wearing your clothing because you got to be cold, warm, so you buy quality stuff and you're working for free the whole time. He may not even like that property. He may make you look at 30 properties and never, ever buy anything only to find out later that he actually did buy some because he just came, he went to the source because he realized that you were a disadvantage to him because you didn't know the property that you were even showing him. You've never even been there. And he's like, why am I doing this? 
this guy knows nothing or this gal knows nothing. I'm just going to the listing agent and you don't have him under contract. He can do that hundred percent. He can do that. And so I think to wrap this all up, I think what's happening is going to happen in the future is if you're a buyer looking for land, you're going to have to either just go directly to the source and the listing agent and work with that guy under multiple representation, which is legal in some states and some it's not, but in mine it is. And you just, you work with that guy one-on-one and you buy it or you have to well, couldn't, couldn't, well, go ahead. Yeah. Your thought. Or, and this will be, the, I'll wrap it up on this. Or you pay a buyer agent to represent you and there's a fee for that. And if you're a smart buyer agent, you're going to say, it doesn't matter if you buy something, I get paid for my work. I get paid for my time, my travel, my research, and my fee is, and there'll be a fee for that, I think. I see what you're saying. And and couldn't this also be kind of hammered out on, say I'm Joe Customer, if my if my buyer agent isn't doing a good enough job, doesn't know the properties, isn't helpful, I'm not going to work with them. And he or she is going to, you know, if they're not good at what they're doing, they're not going to last anyway. So you would think, I, mean, I think, but there's the, an awful and, lot and of buyer agents out there. To work with sure. So you're saying because there's so many that it's just a watered down pool and, and you have the listing. So you have what's really important. Um, and couldn't, couldn't me, Joe Byer, not even use well uh, a buying agent if I don't want to. Let's, let's focus in on what or, you just you said. Know. If they're no good at their job as a buyer agent, because they don't know anything about the property, they're going to, they're not going to be, they're not going to exist. They're going out of business, right? Because they, they're not going to be good. Right. Yet. You already said that earlier that a lot of a lot of agents are yeah. are going broke. Okay, and, and mainly out. mainly because there's not listings for them to sell. That's the reason that they're kind of going broke. There's just the listing opportunities are way down. The things, the product that you have to sell, is way 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 down. Inventory's down. But the way it is right now, there's most agents that come into the industry come in as a buyer agent because they don't have the brand and the money to establish to get to be a listing agent. Listings cost a lot of money. A lot of people don't realize right. that. They cost money to get. Um, but I think that they're going to go broke even more now because they're trying to do a job, sell land, sell hunting land that they're not, they know nothing about. And who, why would they, who's going to hire you? Like, would you, if, if you sat, if you were a buyer and you sat down, you went to the local office, wherever, and, and you just walked in there and said, I'm looking for an agent to represent me on a purchase that I'm going to do. You'll have every one of them will like fall all over their desk trying to be the first to get to you. But then if you ask them, okay, there's this listing right here I saw on Redfin and it's a hundred acres, 105 acres in Polk County, Wisconsin. And I, I'd like to buy that. They'd be like, oh yeah, great. Okay. Well, tell me about that land. You're the buyer talking to this agent in the office. Um, yeah, uh, it's, uh, well, it's in Polk County and, um, it's, uh, near Frederick. Uh, here's the address zero clam falls drive. Um, well, you know, how does it hunt? Jared would ask, uh, yeah. Well, there's woods there and there's a deer on it because uh, there's deer pictures here, right? I mean, in about five seconds, you're going to figure out this guy knows nothing about this property. You're not going to hire him. Why would you pay yeah, them? That, I mean, I agree with that. I agree with that, but 100%. And that could be seen in every industry anywhere, right? Well, I'm hopefully go you're a packaging to, salesman, you know, right? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I have to know my products right. and my services as well. If I don't, you look like a moron. Right. Somebody's not going to trust. Put their trust in you. So, so I'm going to hire you to sell packaging. I, I, I know what you're saying. 
and you know how to sell packaging. Right. That's why I would hire you. Right. But if you were a correct, yeah, I, I know you were a staple salesman, and that's where I wouldn't hire you to sell packaging because you don't know anything about packaging, but you know a lot about staples. So that's the analogy that I see. It's like I think in the future you're going to have to work with a guy that doesn't know anything about what you're wanting to buy. If you want representation, you're going to have to go to a person that you're going to have to pay to work for you to have representation. Interesting. Yep. It's weird. Yeah. Sure. It's that's, a, that's, I mean, you're already kind of going that direction. So, so I, I the, wish you well on it, my friend. And I think a lot of realtors are, are through personal um, relationships too, right? Oh, my, my aunt, you know, my aunt's real. So yeah, I'm of, probably going to get a lot of, I'm going to get hate there. mail and phone calls and I'm like, yeah, give me a call. I'm just trying to think this through. <laughs> and I tell you what, my obligation is to do the best for my client and sell his property. And, you know, I'm willing to talk to anybody about that, but I just don't see the current system working um, the way it is. And I don't know, I'm a guy that questions things and I'm looking for a better way to do it. So I'm, that's what I'm doing. I like it. <laughs> I like it. And you're obviously a good agent. So keep up the good work. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. Try not to get, you know, sued. And I try to do things ethical. And I think the agents that around here <laughs> that call me and talk to me, you know, yeah, he's actually a great guy. I, you know, I, I'm a smart businessman too, but I'm a great guy. But um, I believe in capitalism. The best, the best people in any industry are always going to do the best. And it's not greed. It's just trying to do the best you can for the clients that you work with, with the product that you have to sell. And the day that doesn't become the norm or that's the norm becomes something different than that. I don't know. I'm, I'm moving on to being a farmer or something. Well, and if you're, if you're not the best, then what can you do? You can work harder and you can be the best. So yeah, there's a will, there's a way, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I want to get into one more subject with you, Neil. Yeah. I want to talk about any, any habitat plans you have on your farm this year, uh, anything new in your brain, anything mm -hmm. been working for you, been not working for you. Um, you know, right now, a lot of people are planning, a lot of people are getting the saws out. Uh, I'm one of them. So let's, let's hear what's on your, yeah. your habitat to do. So I got 121 acre farm. That's got about 13 acres of open area that I could food plot. And I'm in my, I think I'm coming into my fourth season now, like the fourth planning season that I've been doing stuff. And probably like everybody out there, Jared, I just like, I just opened up every available spot I possibly could afford to open up. And I started planting food thinking that's, cause I just, I mean, I, the, the first day I got on my tractor and pulled that plow, that disc, I was just like, yeah, baby, this is awesome. And I did that. And, but now I think, yeah, I, now I think I'm, um, planting less food, although plenty of it. And I'm going to have my exclusion cages out there. So I'm going to know how I'm looking. And if I look like, Hey, you know, I got, I got a putting green outside the cage and I've got lush inside and then I know I don't have enough. And so I'm going to, I'm going to see, but I think, I'm thinking I'm going to have plenty. So I'm going to plant a little less. Um, I'm going to create more cover and, uh, and I'm doing that by, I'm, I've been cutting a lot. There's videos on my Facebook page of me dropping trees and very strategically placing them with the predominant wind and ingress, egress in mind and taking into account travel routes that I already know they're working. So I've been cutting, dropping trees and, and I did a little hack and squirt with the, the, the Harper cocktail. Um, I've been, uh, girdling bigger trees because it's scary to me sometimes to drop these big trees. So I've been gir girdling and spraying with the uh, Harper cocktail. 
to double whammy some of these bigger trees. I've been releasing some of my oaks and taking out clusters of oak and take leaving the better one, at least one standing. I've been hinging a little bit. So I guess the overall theme of my farm is I'm trying to create thicker, nasty, strategically placed cover areas with a movement plan in mind. Water holes. I got a water hole started. I took my bucket and I just thought, oh, let's see if this area always looks a little damp and can I do it? And I started working it. Just took me forever just with my little tractor and a bucket. I think I'm going to bring it back a mini excavator. I'm going to dig a water hole. So that's, that's maybe a couple um, actually is kind of my goal. And then I continue with the Vitalize system, a plug for, for our seed that you sell and I'm totally on board. So third, third year in some fields, second year on others and trying to get established on other areas. So that's what I've been working on. Very nice. Is that water hole you, you carved in there? Is that holding water all the time? Did you have to add a liner? Did you have a clay base in there? Any thoughts on that? I had a kind of a clay base there and there was a natural flow of wetness that would go to this area. The trees wouldn't grow and it was grass. And I knew that um, it was an area that, you know, got wetter at certain times of year and other times of year it would be dry and there'd be no standing water. So with the bucket, I was able to really, really all I'd got was the sod up in this one little spot and it held water and there was water there most of the time. I think right towards the end when we didn't get any rain in our area, we got, it's just been really dry fall. It, it was muddy but not like standing drinkable water and the turkeys would come in and the squirrels would come in and the deer would come there and then they, they were drinking, it was holding water and then it dried up. So I think I got to get it deeper and I think I'm not going to need a liner. That's kind of my hope. And I, I'm going to start off with that. I'm going to start off with no liner and I'm just going to make it, I'm going to get down a couple feet, I'd say two to three feet and, and I'm going to dam up the, um, it's right on the edge of a, like a drainage, it drops off into a tamarack swamp and there's a gully that you could see that over the eons, this is where the water went. So I'm going to, I'm going to plug that, um, probably put a PVC pipe in there for overflow and I'm going to dig out this hole and make it two or three feet deep. And then I think it'll hold water. I don't think I'm going to have to put a liner in there and I'm putting it in the middle of like the timber, like a middle timber spot. So I'm creating food on the North bedding North of that. So it's kind of, if, like if I'm going north to south, it'd be, it'd be bedding with the cuts to a food plot, to the water hole, to another bedding area that I'm creating, and then a big destination field. So north, south winds, depending, I'll be able to sneak in there and I'm going to leave that water hole to them. I don't think I'll hunt over it. Maybe push in there and be aggressive during the rut, but it's going to be their sanctuary. Come in and get a drink, go to bed, come out, eat food in the evening. That's my strategy. I like it. Well, you're a, you're a land plan, right? Are you, like you think anything I should, that I haven't thought about that I should do differently? Well, without seeing your ground, I'd have, I could, I could throw a bunch of suggestions at the wall, but, uh, I don't, I don't think we've looked at an aerial together, Neil. I don't think we have. I have done it myself. I took, right. I took aerial and I kind of like mapped out the entrance and I take my onyx and I walk the, my property in the winter and I see the general direction the deer are going. So I've been kind of going in and like dropping trees to like make them go around it and then pushing them into a little tighter spot that leads them to these, um, these features I'm building. It's kind of interesting is how, when you do this, the picture, like I, I just, I don't know. That's how I work. I just go there and I, I, I get the big 
30,000 foot view in my mind and I'm creating it, but it, it, the plan starts to come to life as you're doing it sometimes. I don't know if that's the best way and maybe I'm going to learn as I go, but it's, it's kind of coming together. And, but then I didn't shoot a buck off my land this year. So maybe I got it all screwed up. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about that quite yet. And yeah, you're right. I mean, and some, you know, a lot of our plans can even be nuanced or, or have slight changes or revisions, you know, to them based on maybe a slight terrain feature or, or something that, you know, needs to needs to be changed because of X, Y, Z. Like there's, it's always fluid, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And um, it sounds like yours is as well as you develop these, these bigger features and this better food and yeah and these more cover, you know, thicker cover areas, you may have to change a thing or two. It's just how it is sometimes. If the deer, if the deer are not using the way you want it to and, and they're coming down India or, or whatever, you know, you got to make changes. So sometimes I, I think th- you're a, an astute enough guy to figure that out. Sometimes I think we overthink it too much. Like you look online and you see these guys with these really intricate plans and it's like, holy cow, it's almost too overwhelming for me. But on my south side, I have this big field. It's about seven acres and I'm not going to plant at all, but I'm going to, I think I'm going to start putting some habitat in there, grass mixed with spruce to create a little bit more bedding, thermal cover. And then I have some nitro boost that uh, was left over from last year, quite a bit of it. And I'm debating, do I just put nitro boost in there with the sorghum heads and that's my grain component? Or do I do some of that, mix in some corn, which I know corn does really well, but then I got to fertilize a lot and I don't, and I have to rip my ground open. And I have to spray the crap out of it to get it ready. And I'm not sure I want to do that. So I'm like, I'm just really on the fence about that. Um, so I might be planting nitro boost a lot and that might be my grain component and then overseed it with the carbon load in the fall. I did that last year. So we'll see how that does this year. There was a fair amount of weed competition in there though. Um, but I think that'll get less and less as I don't disturb it. And I lay that thatch down the, that we, you know, you know how we do it, but so a little less food. A lot more yeah, cover. you wouldn't you wouldn't be the only one. Yeah, my um my friend left a nitro boost uh, plot standing as well, and we hunted we hunted near in Illinois, and you could see all the sorghum heads, all the grain sitting there. You know, food plot. You know, a lot of guys, Iowa, Kansas, what they plant a sorghum. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Your point about having the grain there that's, that's been done. I just don't and know that tweaked the the middle this year. So do you do you think the deer here? Excited. Do you think the deer here recognize the sorghum as an edible? Because I I'm not sure if they're eating it, but I've seen videos on like growing deer TV. They they show them gnawing it down and they eat it like a corn cob. They just one end to the other and they take it all off. I got plenty of heads. They're not being eaten on, and I'm wondering if they just got to learn what it is. Probably, and I'm sure you have some other habitats that they're eating on too. You know, in the meantime, and sometimes I've heard that with brassicas too. Like some guys, a deer won't eat brassicas for a couple, three, four years, and all of a sudden, boom, they're onto them. So um, it's hard to say exactly without being there, but that could be. You know, right. right now, a lot of their diet is browse anyway. So. Yeah. Well, I am I am considering having a habitat day on my farm this year for anybody that's in northern uh, Wisconsin, Polk County area. I'm going to try to focus on guys around me. Um, because of uh, just, I kind of just want to create a little pocket of good neighbors that are all doing it. And so far, you know, I talked to guys on the north of me. They're shooting 160 to as high over 200 inches, like three miles north of me, two miles south of me. Same thing, you know, 150, 160, 170s, a couple of 180s. I'm not seeing on my farm. And I'm like right in the middle of these two areas that I know I've seen the photos. And I see live pictures of the deer that are there. They're not on my farm. So I think, and I'm thinking I need to thicken it up, 
get water because I don't have water and just continue to improve the soil and, and plant diverse crops. And when everybody cleans the plate, I'm going to be the place that's thick and has water and has food. That's, that's the plan. Yeah. If you're not, if you're not getting the deer you want to see on there, it's probably just first guess throwing a dart at the wall would be, would be pressure or security cover slash cover, which we kind of are the same thing in a way. So yeah, I like how you create more cover. I mean, that's exactly what I need to do on that new 40. Um, now there's deer moving through there. I got cameras all over and there's deer moving through there and this and that, but I mean, they're just what they're doing. They're moving through. Yeah. So that's great and all, but you can see so far and it's just, irks me i need to get out there and start dropping some maples here soon well we're we're at an hour and 15 minutes and we're probably putting some listeners to sleep and we never got into the 40s so we might have to hear some more about that because i heard you talk about it on the podcast on your podcast but i maybe need to go back and hear all the stories so we might have to have that conversation well let's yeah let's table that let's do it another time soon i always enjoy catching up with you we'll put a we'll put a button on this one and maybe record another one all right buddy that sounds good enjoyed it for everybody who uh, who wants to get a hold of you and wants to follow you and find you, go ahead and, and list that while I get my rapid-fire questions ready for you. Okay. Um, my web page is uh, Neil is at whitetailproperties.com. Go to the Agents tab. Box will pop up. Type in Neil H. Hit at the spyglass or whatever, and you'll find my face, and then click on that, and you'll see all my listings. But my YouTube channel is The American Landman, Buying, Managing, and Selling American Land. Facebook, just Neil Hogger Land Specialist. Instagram, at Wisconsin Landman. Um, or just Google me and my name, and it'll come up everywhere. Awesome. Awesome. Well, are you ready for the rapid fire? All right, man. Fire away. Your favorite beverage? I like beer. Um, if I'm with my buddies hunting, I'm going to, I love yingling. So I just came back from Ohio and I drank a lot, a lot of yingling. Awesome beer. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Go and get it in Ohio. Uh, <laughs> well, near me at least. I, that's, that's where I have to go to get it. So. Yep. Good beer. What, what, you guys have any venison at camp? What's your favorite venison recipe? Oh, I do a venison stroganoff. One of my clients, uh, showed me how to can venison first. So I can it with, um, in a jar, like, I don't know, eight ounce jar or whatever size. And I put in Lipton onion soup mix and maybe a clove of garlic, uh, like a quarter of onion. And I can, then when I go to heat it, I usually, I like it over rice, but you can do it over egg noodles and I'll create a gravy by just uh, putting a little cornstarch and some water and then fold that into the fluids that, uh, the water that's already in the can and I make it into almost like a, it almost looks like a cream sauce. And I might actually even add a little cream to it. I like to pepper it up really good and make it, I like a lot of pepper. So I make it a little bite. And then I pour that stroganoff, venison stroganoff over egg noodles or rice. It's awesome. Ooh, that does sound good. <laughs> but the, the, the canning, do you have a special canner you use or what's your quick process for that? I got a pressure cooker that I can get probably, I don't know, eight to dozen jars in there and you stick it in there. And I, I, I always have to read the directions, but you get it hot for, I think it's like 15 minutes and then you take it out and you set it out and the, the, the little tops are sitting on top of it and you put the twisty thing on the, on top of the seal, you set it out and they'll cool and it'll be there for 10 minutes. All of a sudden you'll go, you know, pop. And then you know that that thing nice. concaved in and then it's good. And I put it down in my, my little food stash that I have down in my basement and I take some up to the camp and keep them in a cool, dark spot. And yeah, they're good for a couple of years. 
That's a great idea. Awesome. Um, when you're bow hunting, are you using fixed blade or expandable broadhead? Man, I'm all over the area on this, but um, I every deer that I've killed lately, I've been using a rage, and it just absolutely fillets them open. And they go less than 100 yards, and they tip over. And the I'd shot, I've only I only shot one doe this year, and I hit her with a rage. But I did try the Schwacker, and um, I didn't kill anything with it. And if I do use fixed blade, I just go to the old Muzzy MX100, and I love Muzzy. So, but I so I don't know. So if I had to say, I'm probably a, a I'm probably a mechanical. I had to choose one. Yeah, my buddy swears by those swackers out of his crossbow. Um, interesting. Yeah, I like that. Now, uh, what do you like to hunt out of the most, or what do you prefer? Preset tree stands, ground blinds, or going mobile like a latitude saddle or something like that? Yeah, I'm mobile, um, but I use a saddle and I'm using tethered, and uh, I like to take my sticks and I kind of set up trees all summer long or any even in the fall. When I see a hot spot or I know I'm going to want to come back to, I've been buying dozens of, of stick sets. So I these rails, I get them at Menards a lot of times, or I have Lone Wolf. But these rails that I, bid at, I get at Menards at the end of the year, I'll get three of them, maybe four. Um, if I'm using sticks, I'll put those up and I'll use a, an extender, an aider to get myself up on the first one. And then I just walk in with my tethered uh, saddle system and I, the sticks are already on the tree and I just climb up them. So, so I guess I'm kind of like a hybrid, I guess. I love the saddle and anybody's not tried it. I'm a kind of getting to be a fat old dude and man, I'm, I'm like roped in from the moment I step off the ground. I got like a lineman's rope around. I climb up, I'm standing there on my little platform, which is like eight by 10. I lock that in the tree. I climb up on top of it. I'm still attached. And then I take my other rope out of my, a uh, little pocket on the on my right side. I throw it around the tree. I hook it with a carabiner. I pull the rope and I, you know, and I get it to the length that I can lean back. And then I take off my lineman rope and I pop, put it in my left hip pocket and boom, I'm in. I, it's awesome. And I never would have thought those things would be as comfortable as they are, but you literally, I could stay up there four or five hours and I can even fall asleep in them. I could just, just lean forward and put my arms on the front rope. And I've literally like dozed off at times. Very secure. Yep, I couldn't agree more. That's what I'm going to be doing. Uh, a lot of on um, the new 40 will be just saddle setups with the latitude system. I think you can use that that bridge that you mentioned to rest your gun on if you're firearm hunting. Um, whatever, it's just it's just comfortable. And then I like how you can get behind the tree. Yeah. When the deer's coming versus sitting on the front of the tree. Uh, that that makes that makes a difference here in Michigan for sure. Um, all right, moving next: food, water, or cover. What do you think is most important? Cover on your farm. Cover. Yeah, I like it. Your favorite habitat tool or implement currently? Mm, I just got a short bar steel chainsaw that is much lighter. And I found that I was, you know, trying to be manly with this big old chainsaw that just tired me out. And um, I got tired and I had my chaps on. And instead of like letting off the trigger and then just holding until the chain slowed down, I let go. And I, my left hand swung down to my side and it kind of went past my leg and I cut the chaps a little bit. I'm like, holy crap, I could have cut right in me. So a small chainsaw, and I might even consider going electric on the next one, but it doesn't have to be, you know, lumberjack size. Very nice. Great, great, uh, great tip and of information, tidbit of information there. Which steel saw is the shorter one? Do you know which one it is? <sighs> I don't. I actually bought it from one of my clients who... Um, had a bunch of them. Her husband was a logger 
and I, she had it in her barn and I gave her a hundred bucks for it with some tools that I got two from her. So I don't remember what it is actually. Right. Yeah. Took it in, had it tuned up and it's running like a charm. Doesn't idle as well as it should I have to keep on for whatever reason. I have to stay on the trigger a lot. So I got to take it in. Maybe the carburetor's clogged a little bit, but yeah, it's light. It's lighter and it's smaller. And most of the trees I'm cutting down, I'm, I don't even like cutting those big ones. I just, I'll girdle them and I'll spray them dead. Sure. Nothing wrong with a double girdle. Yeah. All right. Last but not least, your favorite tree, Neil. I think we probably hit this from, from you before. Yeah. Let's hit you again. All right. My favorite tree. I'm going to change a little bit. I like a, about a 15 year old white pine that has branches because I get up in there and I'll cut out a hole. I'll come up the backside and I'll hide behind the trunk and swing out for my, my shot. So I created a new food plot on my farm that I literally can walk down the road, get through a hole in the fence and walk into this tree. And I'm looking west, north, northwest down this food plot and I'm hidden behind this white pine. And even though I get a little sun in my face with that saddle system, I can just swing in and hide behind that tree and move as the sun does. And then when it's time to shoot, I'm able to pull up and just kind of swing out to my left and just slowly rotate around on my full draw and whack. And that's how I killed the doe that I got this year. Put that, I think I hit her with the yeah. rage. I said, I put it right through the cage. Good work. <laughs> Good work, Neil. Well, that's it, dude. You passed. All right. Appreciate your time today. As always, catching up and learning more into the world of, of real estate and land ownership. And uh, yeah, good luck in all your ventures. And we'll also do another podcast episode here soon. All right, buddy. Thanks, Neil.